Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. In today's episode, Dr. Reed Hayes and Tom Meehan discuss different asset tracking methods and cybersecurity with Kasten Thomas of Interworks. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right, well, welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science Podcast um, from the Loss Prevention Research Council. Um, I'm uh, Dr. Reed Hayes from the University of Florida, and uh, what we're going to do today is have a special guest that uh, my colleague and friend uh, Tom Meehan, Vice President at Control Tech and longtime LP executive from uh, Bloomingdale's and the Home Depot and others, uh, is going to introduce our special guest. And I think you're going to find today um, we've got a, r- a lot of really interesting techie stuff uh, for our listeners um, that we can use to prevent, um, but also to describe, understand, and most importantly, prevent crime events. So, Tom, uh, without further ado, if I could turn it over to you. Yeah, great. Thank you, Reed. Uh, Very uh, exciting episode for me because it's uh, some of the technology things that uh, feel like they're way outside the reach of norm because they're futuristic, but most, if not all of them, are applied today. So uh, happy and honored to have Kasten Thomas join us. Uh, Kasten is known as the Chuck Norris of cybersecurity. So Kasten, I'd ask just give a brief overview of your your history and how you came up with being known as the Chuck Norris of cybersecurity. I know you're nationally recognized, but I I remember the first time I heard it and uh, it instantly made me more interested to listen. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't tell you the whole story because it part of it involves bourbon and a late night. But uh, uh, essentially, uh, we were having a conversation after a conference, and uh, I was telling war stories and some of my experiences and uh, just working with clients, you know, the kinds of things that you talk about after a conference. And the guy goes, wow, it's like you're the Chuck Norris of cybersecurity. <laughs> uh, I went home uh, that weekend and on a whim, I put it up on LinkedIn and all of a sudden I had people connecting to me going, you know, I, I just had to connect to you because I had to be connected to the Chuck Norris of cybersecurity. <laughs> so, so it stuck. And so here we are. Yeah, I can remember actually uh, on a podcast uh, hearing it come through and, and remembering that resonated and stuck through and, and, and really went through. So before we get started, I mean, we have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Our listing audience is mixed of retail asset protection professionals, law enforcement, academia, uh, retail strategists and technologists. So to give the audience just a brief overview of, you know, how you got to be where you are. Oh, goodness. Uh goes a long time back. Uh, I uh, got a degree in industrial engineering and used very little of that for the majority of my career until I started getting into uh, asset tracking and patient flow tracking 
for hospitals. And because of that piece, a number of other industries uh, I got involved with, like uh, nuclear power plants wanting to track uh, equipment and uh, improve loss prevention in that area because if a container disappears that could be you know potentially hundreds of thousands maybe even million dollars in equipment that might be inside one of the containers that they have at an off-site storage facility near the plant so that you know it's just sitting there waiting for maintenance so uh, I have not had the majority of my experience in retail, but uh, we can talk about some of my experiences there. And then as we talk about what I refer to as the convergence of physical security and cybersecurity, we are finding new attack plans and attack vectors related to using cybersecurity in relationship to physical security problems. Uh, I did work with a utility that uh, back in the day when the copper prices were so high, they were having uh, uh, thieves use 18-wheelers with a small forklift attached to the back to break down the fence in remote facilities uh, where they were storing large coils of copper so that it was readily available for their uh, maintenance and their disaster recovery teams, they would just ram the fence and be gone. So something as simple as getting uh, cameras activated uh, with uh, other kinds of alert sensors and that kind of thing became very important. But the problem in the remote facilities was there was no way to get a network to them. So as cellular uh, technology became more economical, we're able to get at the front end of that and get security cameras out in those facilities so that we could catch the bad guys or uh, get uh, advance on getting law enforcement dispatched to the area to catch them in the act. Because in that kind of thing, it was like a smash and grab. 10 minutes, they're inside the facility and they're gone. So it's these kinds of ways and cameras are just one example of where the technology that's needed, and not just technology, but making that technology economical and reliable is absolutely key because those are the things that we uh, come to depend on once they get deployed. So, I, you know, it, it's funny, we, we've spoken a couple of times and connected on LinkedIn, but I often speak and actually write about the, the narrowing gap between cyber crime and organized retail crime and actually is a little bit of a selfless plug here, but I'll be releasing an article soon that, that talks about the similarities between physical security and cybersecurity. And for the listeners, that was not planned. We never spoke of that before. So it just shows how how the folks in the cyber field are really linking up to traditional physical security methods. Um, I'm really interested in, in some of the things that you're doing with asset tracking tracking in retail. RFID in, in a passive a passive sense, so a passive RFID has been around you know, for more than 20 years, but what have you seen uh, with cellular related to RFID or more active tracking? Also, I know that you're you're familiar with some ultrasonic tracking and infrared. I think our listeners would really appreciate it because I think the bulk of them are used to the traditional passive applications. Sure, and those passive applications are typically 
oriented around detecting movement of people or equipment or or other assets based on uh, entry into or leaving an egress or ingress point. What comes available with very economical cell phone technology, not having a phone itself, but a very small device with a, you know, anybody who's dealt with AT&T or Verizon or Sprint has had to deal with that little SIM card that goes in there. So it's becoming very economical uh, on a contracting basis to do large deployments of the Internet of Things type of devices that have a very low ongoing cost to be able to put that chip in and within that be able to do very high-grade GPS tracking. So when you think about tracking a device or a person or, or even a, a vehicle, those are the two kinds of, of tracking, either that real-time tracking where you have a degree of accuracy and a degree of error in knowing where something's located no matter where it is. And the other piece of it along the lines of, of RFID is when it goes out the door, the alarms can start going off or you can trigger a camera to videotape whatever's going on when that event occurs. So using those uh, in, in alignment and then tying it into the video recording system, you can do things like when an event occurs, or I, I call it a triggering event. When that triggering event occurs, you can have these engines that will take that alert from the RFID or the cellular GPS or even Wi-Fi tracking to give you an approximate location or an exact choke point where an event has occurred and start the cameras rolling or send an alert to a guard who can then be dispatched into that area. And depending on the granularity with which you have that location, let's say you have a uh, nine, 10 doors going out, properly implemented, you can actually identify exactly where that person was when they were leaving a facility and which door they went out to very narrowly identify the culprit, if you will. So those are some of the key pieces. And then when we start getting into infrared, because as everybody knows, well, not everybody knows, but using RFID, that can be circumvented quite easily with uh, just a, a small piece of aluminum foil. So using infrared, we've got other ways to do detection. And depending on the implementation of RFID emitters, then that can actually go through multiple layers of clothing. It can go through uh, quite literally as we've done that kind of tracking of things like infusion pumps in hospitals. Our testing has shown that it can actually go through 15 to 20 uh, hospital grade blankets. So infrared is a different type of technology that can be used for the proper use cases and do that. Uh, we've got other things that are coming out. Uh, and I think this is actually being implemented in some uh, retail establishments on a, a large scale 
and that is using RFID or Bluetooth uh, uh, inserts into the lighting fixtures that are going in. And so this whole world of the Internet of Things makes more things connected and gives us more intelligence that we can leverage off of because RFID sometimes goes in for loss control purposes, but sometimes it's going in for other purposes for uh, being able to track uh, items as they come into or go out of the store. So if we can piggyback off of those other investments that are happening, then we've got an advantage. Uh, Wi-Fi tracking is an example. There's a great use case uh, working with a bank that uh, in prototype, what the concept is, is that if there's a bank robbery, and bank robberies often come in clusters in an area because it's the same culprit, if you're able to build a digital fingerprint of an individual based on the Fitbit watch that they're using and the tablet that they might be carrying or the uh, phone, that phone gives out a digital fingerprint of the 3G, 4G, soon to be 5G signals, the Bluetooth signal, the Wi-Fi, those two channels. So if in picking up any of those identifiers of that device and simply by having Wi-Fi turned on a device, we can detect its presence and its unique address and register that and so what the bank said was, you know what, if we can create that digital fingerprint of everyone who was in uh, the bank or in the area of the bank when a robbery occurred, if that fingerprint shows up at another bank, then we can put the tellers on alert, uh, do a lockdown of the facility as a precautionary basis so that we're ready for that bad event should it occur. Now. There are always concerns about privacy, but if we're not linking the identity of that person into uh, the detection of their physical addresses that exist on those phones, those unique identifiers, then we aren't doing anything wrong from the standpoint of improperly uh, infringing on a person's privacy. But very often from a customer satisfaction standpoint or a customer service standpoint, those folks are using this information with the customer having opted in to provide an identity. So being able to use that in doing a forensics investigation of what occurred around an event, it, that can be a tremendous asset to law enforcement and to loss control in order to identifying witnesses, eliminating suspects, and so on. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and I, I think um, I have a couple more questions related to asset tracking, but I think a couple of things you mentioned really resonate directly with the folks that are members of the Loss Prevention Research Council. So our listener base is broad, but um, our members are comprised of retailers, of solution providers, and some law enforcement members as well, uh, use our innovation lab concept. And in our lab today, we actually do have a technology that uses MAC address or, you know, uh, other, other newer technologies to identify 
a wireless device. And um, so that's something that the Loss Prevention Research Council does. And a lot of the things that you're talking about, the, the podcast is kind of an extension of the, the Research Council. But what we are always looking for is how we can look at a scientific approach to identify how these things will deter deviant behavior and work through. So uh, almost everything you spoke about directly relates to some of the research projects that we're working on. And I want to get your opinion and feedback on that soon. But before I do, I, I had a question about ultrasonic tracking, because I don't think, um, you know, a lot of the folks have heard a lot about that. Um, my first experience when it was really directly related to ultrasonic beacons and really was not tracking as much as uh, delivering marketing information. So what are you seeing in the realm of ultrasonic tracking and uh, where do you see it applied and how it could be applied in retail? Uh in retail, I'm not so sure. Uh, in hospitals, there are certain environments where radio frequencies don't penetrate well. You know, if you've got a huge uh, MRI system with magnets and such, you're not going to get good Wi-Fi coverage. You're not going to get good cell coverage, especially when they're putting lead in the walls because of X-ray or other kinds of emissions. So. It's in those areas where I think that ultrasonic is the most effective, but uh, there are some applications using ultrasonic. Uh, I can't remember the name of, of the manufacturer, but they were, uh, when I heard about them about a year and a half ago, were using ultrasonic communications and location tracking for venues and stadiums and casinos. So there may be some applicability in that regard, but uh, it's by no means anything that I've looked at recently, and I would, I would feel bad if I started speaking about that without the authority that uh, I should come to the table with. But uh, offline, I can do a little bit of research and give you something that you can put in your show notes, and I'd be happy to do that. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess um, I only have a couple more questions, but these are the more what I'd say are the interesting and exciting from a listener base. Cassidy, I don't think a lot of people have even heard the term RFID dust. You know, I, I, I think even ultrasonic would be something where some of the more techie guys would know about but not really mm -hmm. dig into. But what can you tell the listeners about RFID dust and how it's being used today and what conceptually it means? Well, interestingly enough, a good friend of mine in the uh, D.C. area actually holds one of the original patents on that concept of RFID dust. And uh, the initial implementations did not uh, astound and perform uh, within the level of expectation, but that goes back 10 years. But the idea of RFID dust is that in the application uh, for intelligence and military data, the intent and what they did do in some of their prototype systems was literally sprinkle dust size uh, RFID chips into documents and onto the floor of heavily secured areas. And then they put sensors at the ingress, uh, egress points and as something was alerted uh, based on those alarms going off of something that's going out the door that shouldn't have, uh, they would be able to actually see 
based on on the bottoms of the shoes of the of the folks uh, where they had been, and they were able to actually document and track where they had been and uh, detect uh, that they had actually been in the area or if they had a cohort that they were working along with, they may not have had access to the secure area, but in a sense, they were the mule who was supposed to uh, take it out. So there was a lot of forensic evidence based upon that. And as I understand it at the time, the problem that they had were the number of false positives and not having the analytical power in order to diagnose and come up with conclusive evidence. But what we're finding very, very rapidly, particularly over the last few years, is that the computing power and the algorithms for doing very, very advanced analytics and artificial intelligence uh, working with that concept of RFID dust or whatever that next evolution of that would look like can be a very, very powerful tool. That's a, a interesting stuff. And I always think about, you know, 10 years is not a long time, but it is a long time. And, and I, I, I see the potential applications for it in, in every environment. It's just one of those things of timing. And you mentioned artificial intelligence, and in, in every industry today, data has evolved dramatically, and the capabilities from a software standpoint, from a hardware standpoint, are far and above even what they were, I would say, two years ago. What are you seeing today related to asset tracking and artificial intelligence uh, in, in, in the real world in an applied environment? What are you seeing? Well, in the cybersecurity world, there's this thing called UEBA, and what that stands for is User and Entity Behavioral Analytics. And applying machine learning and artificial intelligence to movement or behavior, one of the things that, well, the primary thing that is most natural to the artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that are out today is the idea of pattern recognition and common behavior of people, movements, where they go, what they're doing. Those are just patterns. And so the ability to apply these new intelligence applications and algorithms to movement or behavior is the low dangling fruit of applying those algorithms. You're seeing credit card companies use that for credit card fraud. Uh, I actually traveled across Canada from Michigan into New York State, uh, stopped for a coffee, and my credit card wouldn't pass. And the reason was is that According to the algorithms, there's no way that I could have traveled that far and used my credit card in one side of the United States to another. Um, I followed that a little bit, and I believe that what happened, based on the credit card becoming uh, active a couple of hours later, was that they hadn't factored in travel anywhere other than the United States in their algorithm. So. Now I've done the same thing a couple of times and didn't have a problem with that credit card. So the data is only as, or the outcomes are only as good as the data that you put in and what the algorithms are known for. But uh, I'd much rather have that working with a couple of flaws that momentarily cut off my credit card as opposed to having a major loss or identity theft. 
So uh, applying that same kind of thing to customer movement within a retail facility or uh, perhaps identifying behaviors of being able to map the movement of a person within a facility multiple times without making a purchase the way that a grandfather is just following his grandkids and his daughter through the store but never making a purchase would be different than the common pattern of someone who's uh, casing the joint, if you will. So as we identify those patterns of behavior, and again, that comes back to the forensic information that's uh, very often contained in the logs and the systems that the IT people are, are tracking. You know, they have retention policies on every MAC address, every Wi-Fi identifier that comes in proximity of that store. That's held in a log somewhere for some period of time. So what we're finding is more and more of a collaboration between the physical security and loss control folks and the IT leadership. And as the bad guys continue to learn how to circumvent systems and use uh, the IT systems and the data that's there, along with the physical security parameters, we need to be diligent and proactive in collaborating on the defense side, just like the bad guys are doing to collaborate. And it doesn't have to be any of the whiz-bang stuff we're talking about. It could be as simple as, as a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, and I can't uh, obviously give too much information, but I'm working with a retailer. Uh, they're pretty sizable. They've got between 500 and 1,000 locations. One of their administrators of their CCTV system was going on vacation, and their home system was hacked into. Uh, it was what's called a phishing attack. They got an email and clicked on something they shouldn't have. Not a highly technical in uh, information technology security professional. So I clicked on the wrong thing at home, provided the password and the credentials that they use to remotely access the corporate CCTV system. And knowing the schedule and looking at the other things in their, their computer, they were able to access the system using his credentials, lock everyone else out, and then shut down the camera system throughout all of the facilities, knowing that he was gone and was gonna be gone for two weeks. So it's these simple kinds of hacks that can have very, very bad in, uh, impact on our organization. And what we're pretty sure happened wasn't that someone specifically targeted that individual, but through the investigation that whoever accessed his computer found out what the roles and responsibilities and other things about the individual, they were able to publish that information and sell that information on the dark web and someone purchased that and did whatever they did. Now, I'm not close enough to the situation to know if there were any loss control or other types of, of problems and why or any of the outcomes of why that was done. It may have just been malicious and fun. 
but uh, there's certainly a possibility that some physical crime was committed in concert with that. But again, I don't know that. That would just be speculation that it was certainly a possibility. And that that's a great, I mean, that story obviously directly relates to the folks that are probably the, the biggest listening base. Um, Captain, I wanted to, to personally thank you. I, I really appreciate your time for joining and I'm going to turn it up, turn it over to Reed for some last words. No, and I, I too want to thank you and thank Tom for inviting you on uh, Crime Science, the podcast today. And, um, you know, uh, again, our our uh, practitioners are dealing with uh, just an incredible and growing array of theft, of fraud and violence uh, issues. And so any and everything we can do to more quickly recognize something's getting ready to happen or has and and more rapidly and accurately define what this is and who all's involved and where they are and where they're headed. Um, and then, of course, for forensic purposes to document and link and, and uh, incapacitate these high-rate, high-impact offenders that are, that are victimizing everybody, the better. And we really appreciate your technical expertise. We need to understand better bio and digital signatures and uh, how to find them and how to make best use of them. Uh, we're not here to violate anybody's privacy other than the victimizers, the offenders themselves, uh, for that. So I want to also thank you for, for participating today. Um, and Tom, again, thank you. I want to thank uh, our producer, Kevin Tran. Uh, and so from Gainesville, Florida, uh, and from the Loss Prevention Research Council, and myself from the University of Florida, I want to thank everybody for listening. And we look forward to getting back together with some even uh, some new, some new segments that are coming up soon. Thanks for everybody. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.